and welcome to Hello Human, a podcast to explore ideas and feature humans working in AI and technology. Jessica Zich, the Vice President for Strategic Partnerships at 40 Oak, the go-to firm for talent-first automation strategy, joins us today on the Hello Human podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in artificial intelligence and how it's being applied in the real world. I'm John Nisley, the host of Hello Human and a longtime technologist helping companies adopt and utilize emerging digital solutions. A big thanks to Fortress IQ for sponsoring the program. And be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. The great resignation is here and it's real. The last several months have seen a tidal wave of resignations. Job transitions among Gen Z are up 80% year over year, and they're even up 50% for millennials. To help handle the uptick in career moves, AI-enabled technology solutions are delivering productivity, efficiency, and accuracy to the traditionally human-centered process that typically has involved lots of swivel chair activities across multiple systems. We are fortunate to have an industry leader give us her perspective and insight on the exciting uses and future of AI around automation and the emerging digital workforce. Welcome to the program, Jessica, and thanks for joining us on Hello Human and bringing your knowledge and expertise to the program. To get started, it would be great if you could give us the the elevator pitch on 40 Oak for listeners who may not be familiar and your experience that got you to the firm. I teased the talent first automation strategy tagline, but how do you spin the 40 Oak narrative? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, John, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, as you said, I, I lead the strategic partnerships for 40 Oak, um, you know, talent first automation strategies. What does that mean? Uh, we have a few different verticals that we we function in. You know, a lot of our our clients are struggling to make sense of intelligent automation and artificial intelligence and how to you know take control of their programs. So we offer advisory solutions to our clients as to how to build and scale their automation or AI teams and initiatives within their organization. And then on the other side, we also offer. Uh, you know, talent acquisition strategies and resource strategies in terms of building out a complete center of excellence and uh, progressing those strategies and and solutions to be a fully sustainable program within the organization. And how about a little bit of your background? How did you get to 40 Oak? Yeah, so my background, I've been in talent acquisition, staffing, recruiting, all all of the different isms, if you want to call it, for the past 10 years. So I started in technology recruiting, uh, moved into a managed service provider role um, where I was working with a client and implementing their vendor management solutions, then moved into a uh, recruiting process outsource organization where I was sitting on site with clients and I got firsthand knowledge and in-depth look into how companies are either excelling or really struggling within their talent acquisition and HR functions. So brought all of that experience to 40 Oak, saw a, you know, about two years ago, we saw a, a need in the market where there was a huge talent shortage and companies were really struggling to hire the right people to propel their programs. And so I married my background of talent acquisition and, you know, my interest in intelligent automation and AI and everything that fits under that umbrella. And it, it brought me here. So I think, I think that's great. As you can tell, I'm excited about this conversation. I think it's exactly on point. You know, the, the importance of people today doesn't get enough attention and we could probably spend a whole, whole episode on this, you know, in, in today's environment, 
you know, in, in a lot of software categories, especially the more mature ones, you know, there's not a ton of differentiation, you know, in technology platforms. And the the people in the process dimensions, I think, get you know, have 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 lost the focus a little bit. And I think, you know, I've argued a lot that, you know, that's part of the reason why transformation success is, is so challenging. You know, there's been too much focus on technology over the past year. So, you know, looking at process, how are companies infusing AI into their business processes today? You know, it's interesting that you say that. I, I think that, you know, kind of going to your point, there, there's not a lot of focus on people. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're not getting anything done. Although we're talking about AI and bots, uh, we are bringing kind of that human component, i.e., hello, human, uh, back to the table. So, you know, every day we're working with large and mid-sized companies, you know, they're trying to find solutions to the problems that they want to automate or, you know, enhance via AI or intelligent automation. So we're seeing everything, you know, finance, invoice processing, financial analysis, um, huge uptick in NLP and OCR. Um, in IT, a huge rise in chatbots. But I think most interesting to you know, our context is, is in, in and around the HR and talent acquisition area. It's proven to be a huge like focus area throughout the pandemic. You know, obviously you mentioned earlier the great resignation and everything that's going on in regards to that. You know, there's shortages in talent. All companies are now, you know, after 2020 on the rise to hire people. So how are HR and talent teams you know, really driving and differentiating themselves from the competitors? And you know, we've seen, like I said, a huge uptick in that area in terms of using AI to simplify the interview scheduling processes, screen resumes, um, identify passive candidates, and really opening up a broader and a lot of times a more inclusive candidate pool. I'm so, so glad that to hear you sort of move on beyond the typical financial and accounting practices, use cases. And I think, you know, too many in our industry are stuck on that, you know, order to cash and procure to pay. You know, I, I get it. The structured data, it's fairly easy to work with. But in all honesty, you know, I've been catfished into a number of webinars by a leading process mining company that will go unnamed, but you know that they promised industry-specific details. And there was literally one line about the biopharma space. And the other 35 minutes was this generic demo of you know, order to cash. So uh, I like looking beyond those traditional use cases. You mentioned seeing an increase in adoption in the you know, HR talent space. What use cases have you seen to be you know, most valuable in that area? I think when we're talking about use cases, it's it's important to look at, you know, historically where there have been challenges and the pandemic threw in infinity more in terms of HR and talent acquisition. Uh, you know, obviously the pandemic forced companies to make some really difficult choices. Um, you know, some of them that you know, took the biggest hit were in HR and talent acquisition teams. And now we're seeing you know, companies that had to scale all the way down to zero in terms of their talent acquisition and recruiters that are now rebounding and, and really driving hiring initiatives. So in an unsurprising twist, uh, you know, companies are trying to do more with less, which is a lot of why we're here. So you know, two main areas that all HR and talent acquisition teams are concerned with are hiring top talent and retaining that talent within their organization. They're high performers. And AI is definitely being used to drive the efficiencies in both of those areas, which is leaning into a positive candidate experience and an employee experience. You know, kind of going back to what the pandemic has kind of shown light on is that people had a lot of time to really think about what's important to me in 
in my job? You know, what do I want to be doing? And it's given, you know, this war on talent has never been more competitive. So, you know, candidates are looking at the interview and onboarding experience overall as to what they can expect when they're an employee of a company. So anything, you know, any long, arduous interviewing processes, how long it takes for them to get a response from when they initially apply to when they're having a phone screen with someone, just the ability for someone to, you know, have an interaction with someone at the company or or who they perceive to be someone at a company. So the increase that we're seeing is certainly in, you know, candidate sourcing and screening, implementing AI and really infusing AI into that process. Obviously, AI has the ability to process data at a huge scale. With most recruiters, they're working anywhere from 20 to 30 jobs at a time across all different kinds of disciplines. So it's nearly impossible for a human being to be an expert in all of those areas. So what AI does is it allows a broader reach. It can scan and crawl millions of profiles online pretty quickly. You know, sourcing intelligently through social media, job boards, online resumes, LinkedIn profiles. It's really bringing more you know, accessibility and really driving that pipeline that if you have anyone, if any talent acquisition or recruiters are listening right now, they're saying, how are we going to do this? How do I drive more people into my pipeline that, that are going to close these roles? So another way that it's you know really reaching out is going through all of the profiles that are there. So I said, you know, recruiters are typically working 20 to 30 jobs. When we're looking at it in terms of applicant status, you typically have hundreds, if not thousands of people that are applying to each job, which is obviously daunting for one human being. Most talent acquisition and HR teams are handful, if that, and they're responsible for driving the best talent into the organization. So if you have someone who is sorting through each and every one of those profiles, it's no wonder that hundreds and hundreds of people are not being responded to. It's just impossible for a human being to go through that many per role. So again, we're seeing a huge uptick in these HCM and ATS, intelligent automation and AI programs that are going through and they're able to actually score different resumes in terms of how applicable they are to the position. And it also goes through and you can, or where we've seen an uptick, I guess, or like how they're starting to implement is looking at people, not just what they've done historically, but also, you know, where there is potential for that person. And a lot of times, you know, with historical algorithms that have been in place previously, it was just, you know, keyword matching. I'm looking for a Java developer. So here's a Java on the pro on the profile and now we're matched. Artificial intelligence can actually look at the more of a component. It has the deep learning component, um, specifically with like machine learning, for example. And, you know, it's looking through millions of data points and uh, analyzing trends and can really bring a really diverse area of talent, not only that matches, you know, really what we're looking for, but also can can look to see who's still going to be with the company within a few years. So it goes beyond from a talent acquisition perspective. And now we're kind of floating over into retention. We've also seen some programs be built to assess you know, which candidate traits correlate with you know, long-term success in a specific role. And then it allows the, the program to then go back and look for candidates that fit into that particular profile set. So that's from a talent acquisition perspective and how it's been applied in that space. That's been a huge, huge focus area there. In terms of, you know, from HR, HR teams, constantly bombarded 
with, you know, employee questions. We're talking about, you know, holiday schedules. Where do I find my W-2s? All of these repeatable, very time-consuming if you're replying to all of them individually questions. So there is a growing adoption of natural language chatbots and HR, HDM software. And a lot of users are very accustomed to interfacing with those types of information. So the change management component from that perspective has been very minimal. And it's been you know, really increasing again. You know, We go back to the candidate experience and the employee experience. And in a lot of instances with organizations, the long-term success of someone or, or how long they'll stay with an organization can be directly uh, correlated to the success of their onboarding and their hiring process. So for those that went through a negative or kind of wishy-washy interview and onboarding process, the likelihood that they'll stay on longer is significantly less than those that went through a stellar process. So again, we go back to, you know, a lot of those questions coming into HR from new employees. Where can I find this information? How do I get to it? That's again, just going to improve that employee experience. So those are a couple, I mean, I could go on and on. There's a ton of, you know, in HR and talent, there's infinite ways that it can be applied, but those are those are the ones that we're seeing the most of recently. Now, you are truly the expert in this area. And again, it's it's sort of the whole topic is, is really fascinating to me. Getting ready for this session, I read somewhere and I wish I would have written down the source because it's one of those numbers that I really liked. But, you know, speaking of candidate experience, it was like, you know, best practices around, you know, initial contact through offer was like mm-hmm. four days. <laughs> and I was, I'd like actually went back and looked at it. I'm like, hang on, did it, was it a typo? Was it supposed to be four weeks? And no, it was four days, which was, you know, miraculous to me to think that that today is considered, you know, best practice and how quick you go from, from first contact to offer to really get the, you know, quality of candidate that you're looking for in this, you know, sort of crazy world that we're living in today. I mean, just going back to that point, I mean, this market has changed considerably. We have seen every candidate that we're talking to right now has multiple offers on the table and the speed to response and the time to hire is you have to move very, very quickly in order to be competitive. If you're coming in, you know, after a week of that person having applied, you're probably not going to win that person and add them to your team. So, you know, when we're looking at some of those things, you know, we're looking at the candidate experience because it affects retention. We're looking at, you know, the time to hire because it affects, you know, the offer acceptance ratio. So, and the quality of the hire. So all of those things are coming into play. And, you know, specifically that's where AI can really make a huge difference in the success of a, of a program and bringing the right people into the organization. Yeah, no, I think the whole intelligent automation ecosystem from the process discovery to the RPA to the DPA and and analytics and everything else in between the AI and the machine learning, you know, it's really one of those cases where, you know, it's it's the exponential benefit that you're getting out of it. It's a it's a case where one plus one equals three. You know, individually, all these solutions drive value at their own you know, level, but when you combine them together, you know, that's when you can really get the the speed to value and, and accelerate uh, the time to value that you're looking for and be and put you in a place where you can make those hiring decisions in, in four days, which, you know, a couple of years ago would be, you know, absolutely unheard of. 
You mentioned algorithms a little bit. You know, ethical AI is coming up in conversations more and more. You know, what's the impact of ethics and explainable AI in recruiting? You know, when the technology starts deciding who does and doesn't get screened or hired, you know, I assume the scrutiny of AI models, you know, jumps significantly. Can AI help, you know, non-traditional candidates get a look? I think it definitely can. You know, we're we're looking at, you know, again, it's accessing millions and millions of data points and it's looking for trends. So, you know, some people who don't have the traditional profile, it's identifying as a match for a role or it's suggests it goes beyond that and it suggests to that person that has their profile posted somewhere is open to new opportunities or has, you know, and they're bringing those job positions to that person so that they can apply to it. So it is targeting and it can allow a more diverse candidate pool and it can drive, you know, the not obvious person for the role to, to that organization or to that program. You know, where it comes up, I mean, obviously, Amazon had the, the hiccup or the mishap in 2018. You know, some of their developers create, looked into the 10-year history of hiring. They created a program to find great candidates that were similar to what they have hired previously, but all of those profiles were predominantly male. So they inadvertently <laughs> they discriminated against all of the female engineers. So they were only looking for those specific things. So I think at the end of the day, you know, we have to look at this as AI has to have some input in order to receive an output. So if the input is biased, you know, in, in Amazon's case in 2018, that it has since been disbanded. It was very, very quickly recognized and cut down just so that we're, we're clear we don't get in trouble with anyone there. They found the, the issue and they nixed that initiative. But, you know, if you're, if the input is biased, so will the output. So, you know, if we're looking at it, you know, companies are looking to increase, you know, their candidate pool to diversify it and to work to eliminate the bias. You know, that said, I mean, it's something to definitely be conscious of, you know, companies are using tools, but they're liable if discrimination is your output. <laughs> so it's important that, you know, these systems are, you know, closely monitored. That includes, you know, audits and things like that. You know, when we're looking at, you know, non-traditional candidates, it can reach out and it can look at, you know, those otherwise overlooked or over. So reverting back to earlier, we were talking about sourcing an AI specifically. The candidate pool can be increased with AI. Uh, to include non-traditional candidates that otherwise would have been overlooked by maybe an overworked or an inexperienced recruiter. They may not see that you have a background that is purely applicable because you don't have the keywords that they were typically looking for. You know, inexperienced recruiters are kind of playing a little bit of a matching game until you get some years under your belt and you can read between the lines and see the nuances of someone's profile and candidacy. So that's where AI can really make a big difference. You know, something that I was reading about recently was that New York City is considering requiring employers to inform job applicants if and how they're using AI in hiring decisions and providing or requiring AI vendors to uh, perform audits initially and then after it's been implemented. So I think that that could be something that we start to see. Uh, and that would, I think, bring more trust into organizations in terms of ensuring that they're not, again, inadvertently discriminating against a protected class. You know, something that Salesforce did recently is they hired a chief ethical and humane use officer. I guess it's recently is a relative term. I guess it was about two years ago that they hired her, but that could be, you know, I, I think that that could continue to be a trend. And, you know, 
looking at development strategies to make sure that this technology is being used in an ethical and humane way and to really continue to build that trust in you know, HR and talent acquisition can typically, like you said earlier, be an overlooked area for this type of technology. And I think it's because, you know, there is, you know, we're working with the, the crux of that business is people. And so there's a knee-jerk reaction of distrusting, you know, artificial intelligence. And if we have some of these programs and, and initiatives in place, I think that that would go a long way of, you know, ensuring that, you know, we're, we don't have any inadvertent discrimination or bias that's afoot within the program. Yeah, no, it's, and, and time is all relative these days. So yes, <laughs> recent, recent can fully qualify a year or two ago. I think it was, it was in that same time frame, maybe even earlier. I think it was, was Google that had their first meeting of their data and ethical council around ethical AI. And I think it had to disband after the first meeting and they had to retool how they set it up. You know, these are, these are tough issues, but I think ultimately at the, at the end of the day, you know, organizations aren't doing this maliciously, you know, it's more just, okay, I I had bad data going in, so I'm going to have bad data going out. And, you know, as long as we're aware of it and keep an eye on it and make adjustments, ultimately, as we get more data, we can make better decisions. And that's one of the other arguments that I tend to make is that, you know, data-driven organizations tend to win and we can be more data-driven. We can do more things and do better things and do it faster. So, all make sense. You know, switching gears a little bit beyond recruiting, you know, 40 Oak provides advisory services to companies looking to build their automation capabilities and expertise. You know, every organization is obviously unique, but what are the, the key components that companies need to consider to win in this space? You know, it obviously goes beyond just the people. I assume there are process and, and technology considerations in there as well. Definitely. I mean, there, there's a few that, I, you know, I'll, I'll highlight, obviously, there each one thing that we highlight in, in 40 Oak is there's not a one size fits all approach, although there are, you know, tried and true ways that we've found to be successful and, you know, some pitfalls that we've seen with, with other early adopters that we try and steer clear from, um, although they've, they've since righted the course, but um, it does go beyond just people, but, you know, you definitely do need specialized talent to get your program off the ground. Some of the early adopters are, you know, getting to a point where they're self-sufficient but anyone getting started needs an infusion of talent and process-oriented thinking really meet the expectations of you know the speed that's associated with these products. In terms of process, I mean, it, again, kind of going beyond people, but if we're thinking about it from a hiring process, because we're still in the talent acquisition in HR, it can't get me away from there. <laughs> but it is important to, you know, think if you're typically taking months and months to hire the right resource to propel your program, and there's an expectation that a digital worker will be productive in one to two months, there's a disconnect there that needs to be resolved. So that's kind of one, but we also have to look at the governance and approval and oversight. I mean, those things need to be addressed to to ensure that there's agility and controls are maintained. You know, I think it goes without saying when we're talking automation that it's also important to evaluate your processes (laughs) and improve the process prior to automating. I can't tell you how many leaders that I've talked to that have gone down an automation path and looked up and said, probably should have optimized that process before we automated it. Uh, And so they're having to peel back that onion, you know, so never automate a bad process is, is definitely, you know, word of advice. Number one, in terms of technology, obviously 
We all see that these new products have a huge advantage. We also have a huge technical debt and systems that are really hard to let go of in a lot of cases. You know, non-digitally native companies have all of those legacy systems that are fully embedded into every piece of the organization. So, you know, with today's AI, it's often very configurable and moldable, sometimes fragmented. Uh, It doesn't always paint a clear picture of how it will support an entire business process, which in some cases can create complexity and dependence on some of the existing systems that aren't as advanced and can lead to either expensive solutions or it leads to an immature solution with gaps. So it's really looking at your organization holistically and not relying on one product to fix all your problems. We really have to look at all of the technology and all the considerations and see how each of these products, you know, working with what you have in your existing tech stack can enhance the organization. So that, you know, sometimes that takes an objective view, which obviously we offer, but, you know, sometimes there it, it is able to be, to be handled in-house. So those are a couple of the, the considerations there. You hit about a half dozen of my favorite buzzwords, so I don't know <laughs> where to even begin here, uh, including technical debt. But again, you know, we've seen a, a ton of organizations with the, you know, what I call sort of the ready, fire, aim approach. And, and you know, it's so critical to, you know, we say, look, you got to do your discovery, you got to do your optimization, and then you got to automate at the end of the day. You know, it's got to, and it's got to be in that order. Uh, you need all three of them. It's got to be in that order. I think the other piece that I'd add on there is I saw an article, again, last week or two, but could be four or five weeks ago. Um, given the the time frame these days, but uh, it was on a COE for a bank intelligent automation program, and you know I was struck by the numbers. They said they had you know twenty to twenty five sort of process optimization experts. They had you know call it thirty to thirty five you know call you know data engineers, RPA engineer type people, and then twenty data scientists. And so you're you know when you're looking at sort of driving that kind of capability in the organization, you know, that struck me as, okay, sort of the ratios are important, but also just the the sheer scale to get the numbers that you're, you're trying to go kind of, you know, impress me a little bit. Uh, You know, your, your team does a lot of work in the automation space. Obviously, you know, one of the key challenges facing company is scaling programs across the enterprise, uh, as I just talked about a little bit, you know, is there a recipe for pulling together a successful automation team? You know, what's the talent mix that you found is, is needed to create these high performance teams? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the recipe for the automation team, there's a few balances to strike. I mean, as with any recipe, if you're building or if you're, if you're, Baking a cake, for example, uh, you know, you may find that, you know, John, you like a little more salt in it and I like a little more sugar. So they're all customizable, right? But there are some things that there's the underlying, we're going to need a crust, we're going to need some filling. So, you know, these are some of the things that that we kind of take into consideration. So one thing, the balances that I think need to be um, struck right off the gate is the domain experience versus the technical experience. So automation requires both. There has to be an intimate understanding of the business process and knowledge of the automation tools and technology. So you can't just go in and like you said, kind of, all right, we have this process, let's automate it and not understand how it's going to affect the entire organization, if it will. You know, we have a, a webinar coming up on the rise of a microbot and how, you know, this you can 
automate these really tiny little bitty processes. And that is, you know, not going to affect the entire organization. It's just that one little sliver. So again, a few different ways to do that. Um, the other balance that needs to be, you know, con consideration is the internal experience versus external experience. So both are required again, again, enough knowledge to navigate relationships within the organization, but enough detachment to actually challenge the status quo. <laughs> you have to be able to navigate governance and the budget process, but also be willing to change. You know, the challenge of the way we've always done it is going to be there. And especially with intelligent automation and AI, there's a huge change management effort that has to occur in most instances. So without someone in the program that's going to be an evangelist of sorts, you're going to be fighting a little bit of an uphill battle in most cases. So in terms of, you know, the types of roles that we see in an automation team, you know, regardless of the way the resources are brought in, a uh, program manager or leader, you know, typically these are going to be your change agents. We often call them a catalyst, um, depending on the size and complexity, uh, the existing adoption of disruptive programs in the organization. These people can really make or break the effort. We typically see a solution architect, an analyst, a developer, and a support function. So these are not groundbreaking roles, but you know, having those folks that, you know, have, especially, I think, the ability to communicate the benefits of artificial intelligence or intelligent automation and how it will, you know, enhance people's uh, work is, is critical in order to get that off the ground. So, you know, in terms of, you know, company profiles that are coming up, you kind of have to look at it holistically. You know, there's some companies that are looking for solutions that are straight out of the box. You know, want to add minimal headcount. Consulting option is great for them. Uh, we have companies that, you know, recognize that their business processes are going to change in a meaningful way and they want full transparency and control, but they're not really ready to commit to full-time employee hiring. So contingent workers work great for them. We also have companies who recognize processes are changing, want to have full control, and they want to bring on more headcount. So that would be a full-time employee engagement. So there's a few different ways that this can shake out. And again, you know, blending those models, sometimes they'll hire a full-time program manager and, you know, add in some developers from a contingent workforce perspective. So there, again, it depends on the size and complexity and, and where you know, you're seeing the adoption within your own organization, I would say, really affects, you know, what, what that recipe really is going to be. I'm going to steal that concept of microbots. I love it. You know, it reminded me of, a, a again, I'll sort of go back to all the information sources I take in. It was, a, I think, in Harvard Business Review a month or so ago. It talked about, you know, you're not going to find dollar bills sitting around on the factory floor. But if you look, you know, there are 10,000 pennies sitting there. <laughs> And at the end oh, yeah. of the day, I'd rather have 10,000 pennies than a dollar bill. So, uh, no, I think that that idea of microbots is pretty cool. So, you know, you sort of gave us the, the, the development team side of it. You know, looking at it from the other angle, let's talk a little bit about the digital workforce. You know, employees see oftentimes automation as a job killer and leadership sees it as, as operational efficiency. You know, I think that's, you know, a bit too narrow of, view, of a view. I think, you know, I tend to take a more utopian view of the opportunity that technology presents. You know, for me, the digital workforce isn't a humans versus robots issue. It's more of a hybrid outcome. It's, it's humans and robots. Um, you know, what's your vision for, for what the digital workforce of the future is going to look like? Well, 
I tend to be more optimistic in nature. So <laughs> my view sounds like it's it's pretty similar to yours. I mean, obviously in my industry, AI and automation are enabling humans in most cases to be more human. Uh, in terms of what we talked about today, you know, AI and IA frees up recruiters and talent teams, HR organizations to do more work that only humans can do. So you know, conducting those phone screens, building relationships and really um, getting to know people as a person to person and alleviating a lot of the you know, things that can cause, you know, frustration and burnout. There's a ton of inefficiencies um, that can lead to that. And, you know, when you have employees that are running into that, you know, fatigue and, you know, burning out, obviously your attrition rates are going to go through the roof. So wrapping it all up into a nice little bow, you know, again, we're getting back to the pandemic, you know, employees are looking and this, you know, great attrition, the the great resignation, if you will, you know, it's important to really look at, the, the quality of your work. You know, we always talk about work-life balance, but what is the quality of your work? Um, I read in an article recently that, you know, workers are saying they'd be willing to forgo 23% of their entire future lifetime earnings in order to have a job that was meaningful to them. So finding meaning at work, employees are happier. They're more productive. They're absent less. The attrition rates of those companies are going down. So the way that I look at it is, very similar to yours. It's humans and robots. We're, we're taking away the mundane, repetitive, mind-numbingly boring, or <laughs> extremely daunting in certain situations, you know, tasks from people. And we're maybe somewhat ironically, because we're using AI, putting the human you know, back in human resources. We're employing the AI to allow us to do that. So I think that that it is that hybrid way of, of using the bots to enhance the human experience. And I think that that is, I think that that's hopeful and exciting in my opinion. <laughs> no, that's great insight, Jessica, and a great point to end on. Reminds me a little bit, a couple of years ago, I, I saw there was a Swedish company that that was renaming HR to humans and robots. Uh, and that, you know, your sort of comments reminded me of that. To recap today's conversation with Jessica Zitch, the vice president for strategic partnerships at 40 Oak, AI-enabled technology solutions are delivering productivity, efficiency, and accuracy to traditionally human-centered processes, especially in HR. Using AI frees up teams to spend more time on the work that humans are best equipped to handle and helps address the current talent crunch that companies are struggling with. Infusing AI into their business processes require unique resources and strategies for applying AI, and managers need to be prepared to deal with the challenges. That's a wrap on today's show. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us and Fortress IQ for sponsoring. If you enjoyed it, be sure to give us a like or a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening. I'm John Nisley, and this has been Hello Human. If you enjoyed this session, subscribe and check out our series at fortressiq.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us today on Hello Human.